came here looking for something I couldn't find anywhere else But I don't want to be nobody Just want a chance to be myself I've done a thousand miles of thumbing Yes, I've worn blisters on my heels Trying to find me something better On the streets of Bakersfield You don't know me, but you don't like me You say you care less how I feel How many of you that sit and judge me Ever walk the streets of Bakersfield It's Rich Buckland and Bill Mesnick And Bill Mesnick and Rich Buckland And where are we, who are we? Well, you know what says the splendid Bohemians. Is that correct, my friend? Howdy. Right, a little mini pearl to start the day. And yeah. uh, you can't you can't do any better than that. So how are you, my friend? You good? I'm I'm ready, willing, and able. Ready, willing, and able, and we're going to go to Bakersfield, California today, are we not? Yeah, yeah. I'm almost there. I'm in being in California, it's a short trip. Well, what we're going to be uh, what we're going to be discussing today has to do with uh, two artists of major consequence, Mr. Uh, Mr. Dwight Yoakam and Buck Owens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these cats uh, these cats have made an indelible mark. In the Spiritual music. father and son. Yeah, and very interesting relationship and very interesting career separately and of course together. And uh, where would you like to where would you like to start this little journey? Um, well, let's start with Bakersfield. What what first of all define the Bakersfield sound? Why is it coming out of Bakersfield? What what is that all about? <laughs> There's this attachment to the sense of the vacancy. Uh, you have been to to Bakersfield, California. I've, I've probably driven through it, but um, I've never made the pilgrimage. But you have, right? Yeah, so tell me about it. Let's start there. It was many, many years ago. But what I remember most about it is this seemingly endless uh, allure of a, of, of a town that was large and vacant and seemed to possess this ringing of... The, it, it resonated with an interest that I think the song "The Streets of Bakersfield" captures perfectly. Um, there's kind well, of you know, um, Bakersfield is is I think it's in the um, the crux between the uh, San Joaquin Valley and the Central Valley, and so there's oil fields, oil rigs. Actually, uh, the man that you turned me on to, Merle Haggard, grew up in Oildale, which was his, you know. A, not a suburb, but part of Bakersfield. And uh, of course, the farming communities, the migrant farming communities. So there's this thing of these guys, Buck Owens and, and others. I think earlier, in an earlier episode, we talked about Rock of the Women of Rockabilly. Rose Maddox came out of Bakersfield too. She proceeded. But there was this kind of the the Okies and the migrants coming to California during the Dust Bowl. 
and there was and a lot of people settled there and so it became this outpost but why i guess why the music is that you have um the uh, wills bob wills and that whole influence of the texas swing but what's unique here is that because they were so far away from nashville they sort of planted their flag with the this roots rock kind of rock country thing right yeah but you could also make the same claim for seattle with punk and wherever there seems to be a economic uh something stirring economically uh, there's a there's a movement that will thrive, and whether it be in country or whether it be in in, in rock, whether it be uh, artists attempting to to originate their own their own music as uh, as Nirvana did in uh, in Seattle. What we do is we we have this constant shift of uh, of art which imitates the landscape and the peoples who came before. And mm -hmm. that's the sensibility that I got from Bakersfield. But then again, my romantic attachment to California itself has always been prolific and somewhat shaded with, uh, with fantasy. So I don't, well, I don't know if yeah. one can actually make all of these assumptions of what it was like growing up there the same way I really can't I, I really can't understand what it would be growing up in Mexico and understanding the uh, prolific riffs of Flaco Jimenez. Who uh, I will get to later because uh, talk about the streets of Bakersfield, Dwight's hit, uh, Flaco was on that record. Oh, absolutely. And played with Doug Somm and, and, and so many other artists. But was and it, he kind of defines this Tex-Mex deal, which is which flooded in to the sound and certainly that was part of it part of but it. but but wasn't buck the first not maybe not the very first but amongst the first uh players of the telecaster and that was part of that bakersfield sound well it was it's this it's this very very simple sound that was the start yeah, the start was this very simple band that is basically constructed on uh, discipline, uh, craftsmanship regarding song, and harmony. I've got a tiger by the tail that's plain to see. I won't be much when you get through with me. Well, I'm a losing weight and a turning mighty pale. Looks like I've got a tiger by the tail. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Beautiful harmony. Those early records are very, very rich, and they're very rich because of Buck's partner in crime, Don Rich. And uh, it's Don's harmony and, uh, and guitar playing as well that created that sound. You cannot really talk about the Bakersfield sound and its connection to any of those musicians without discussing Don Rich. So, um, do so. Well, Don, when Buck's 
Buck's entire career was founded on the brotherhood that he uh, began with, with John Rich. And the early recordings have this trademark component to them. And this trademark is a partnership that Buck and Don Rich forged together. Something about the harmony and the understanding of what this should sound like. He, he developed the Bakersfield sound. Uh, he also played fiddle. And um, when he was killed in a motorcycle accident in 74, 32 years of age, it pretty well signaled uh, a, a demise in Buck as well that uh, he, he, he never found the treasure of making music valid uh, after that. That's how connected they were, and that's how influential uh, he was. And he wasn't born in Bakersfield. Don Rich was born in Olympia, Washington. Yes, right. And that's where I think they met in Tacoma. In Tacoma. And, um, I mean, this is a guy that uh, was... At 16, he opened for Elvis, Don Rich. And um, he's, he played with a variety of, of, of musicians in, in the area who were of, of renown and performed with Loretta Lynn. Um, makes his way to uh, Bakersfield and signs on for 75 bucks a week. <laughs> and 75 bucks a week. And it becomes, a, uh, it, it becomes this incredible relationship uh, beginning with a single called Above and Beyond, which uh, hit number three on the uh, Billboard charts. And they began touring. Uh, they would tour, and uh, they developed this relationship, which Buck defined as a brotherhood, and and it was um, there was a parent relationship involved as well, a father and son thing. As well, so it was. Uh, it was a d dynamic relationship, and for me, when I would watch those hee-haw episodes, uh, the early hee-haw episodes, where you could see Don performing with Buck, you could see this uh, this united stand that they had, and I really couldn't imagine one without the other. Together again. My tears have stopped falling The long, lonely nights Are now at an end The key to my heart You hold in your hand And nothing else matters We're together again Again, the gray skies are gone. 
Yeah, so he basically went into semi-retirement after that. Pretty much. Uh, until the until the appearance of Dwight in 87. And Dw- Dwight's love for Buck Owens is is a is is a fascinating one in that I think it it, it attaches the way many artists attach themselves to the Beatles as influence. Mm-hmm. I think what Buck did is he pronounced for Dwight how song making and the articulation of this cry and plea should be announced and helped define in many, many ways who Dwight Yoakam uh, became as a, as a more popular uh, mainstream star. Well, Dwight sought him out, and uh, they they hit it off, and and then they got went into the studio and recorded Buck's song "Streets of Bakersfield," which I guess he uh, had recorded thirteen years before on an album, "Ain't It Amazing, Gracie." Mm-hmm. The, the book that that I'm looking at here, "Dwight Yoakam: A Thousand Miles from Nowhere" by Don McLeese, states that that recording which featured Flaco Jimenez, elevated Dwight's recording output from basically recreating his onstage sound to a more mature, focused sound, one that brought his um, idea of what he was doing into focus. Well, given the fact that, that Dwight Yoakam began his career performing in in outside venues, um he he would do shows in rock and and punk clubs, right? Exactly. That's another thing they have in common, uh, in a sense that um, they were both outsiders from Nashville. Yeah, I mean you've got you've got Dwight who's who's hanging out with the Blasters, and Buck is pretty much this this staple of of uh, Nashville, and the ideal of what you can accomplish when you hit the top of the ladder. You've got Buck Owens, you've got Merle Haggard, you've got Roy Clark, you've got George Jones, you've got all of the artists who have who have attained Merle, the status, this legendary status. And Dwight was always working his way up that ladder, but in his own, by his own definition, and you hear this constantly throughout the work in the cover versions he performs, whether it be the Locomotion uh, or the Johnny Cash uh, uh, classic Understand Your Man. 
Dwight or Yoakam Prince's Purple Rain. Or Prince's Purple Rain. Um, he interprets in his in his particular manner, and there is no country artist, or it's it's almost ridiculous to refer to him as a country artist in my estimation because of the degree of originality that he uh, that he brought to the game. Day. Yeah. 